We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The hottest next tape you'll find online. Knicks all day. We bleed blue and orange. This is Knicks Fan TV, your one-stop shop for the ultimate New York Knicks fan experience. News, rumors, debates, post-game live streams featuring live callers. Let's go Knicks, baby! And now, your host, CP, the NY Fanatic. NBA inside of the one and only Ian Begley. For the second straight day, we have CP, the franchise of Knicks Fan TV, joining us all day, baby. And today, we're happy to have Jonathan Macri of Knicks Film School back on the screen. We are live on SNY's Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube pages at SNY.TV. Second straight day. Always, we tip things off with the baseline. And Ian, look, man, I thought the Knicks might make a few moves, maybe not the big moves, but they didn't. Why did they not ultimately um, make any moves before Thursday's trade deadline? I think it came down to the price that either they had to pay or what they were getting back for what they were trying to do. Because coming into the week, uh, one of the goals, uh, I, my understanding was, was trying to trade off one player, maybe two in the rotation to make room for Cam Reddish. And I know they had conversations with teams about players, Alec Burks, Evan Fournier, uh, what have you, and uh, Nerlens Noel. But I, I do think that you know, at the end of the day, I, they determined, I assume, that the price to get off these guys, whether it meant attaching picks to a trade or whatever you were getting back, it, it didn't match uh, their value or what their contracts were. I, I just assumed that it wouldn't make sense, maybe from a, a Brock Aller standpoint, from a value standpoint, to make these moves now. So you stand pat, right? And, and I know they had other conversations about other trades. Cam Reddish's name was involved. But what we're seeing now is the roster is what it is. You have Cam Reddish. I think if everybody's healthy, Derrick Rose, R.J. Barrett, Quentin Grimes, everybody's healthy. And Tom Thibodeau has some interesting decisions to make with the rotation if you want to fit Cam Reddish in there, and it would be a little bit bizarre if they didn't. So that's where I'm left after this deadline. Yeah, same, same here. The Cam Reddish, you know, 
controversy or, you know, challenge of, you know, get them into the rotation is something that obviously will linger on for the rest of the year since they didn't make any moves. Jonathan, I'll start with you then, CP. Uh, how did you react uh, to the Knicks, you know, not doing anything um, during his last yesterday's trade deadline? You know, I mean, I, I think I was mildly surprised, um, but, you know, the more and more I kept looking around the league and seeing, you know, one player get taken off the board, another player, you know, your your Ricky Rubios, your Eric Bledsoe's, like the type of guys who would have fit that, you know, maybe send two vets out, bring back an expiring contract. Um, does someone value Burks like that? Um, and those players kept going off the board. I'm like, I'm not sure where the obvious fit is here. And as we got closer to the deadline, I'm like, okay, this is probably just going to come down to seeing, can they get something of value for Burks? Uh, you know, and then deadline passed. And um, so my reaction was, well, I guess there were, were no buyers. I think where I differ from, you know, some other fans out there is I'm, I'm not placing the blame on anything that happened yesterday. To me, it's more like this is an indictment on the summer. You know, like what, what do they say about the best laid plans of, of mice and men? Um <laughs> Leon Rose thought that what he was doing at the very least would, you know, run back the same group. That was a lot of fun to watch and like the whole thing. And um, I don't think they ever envisioned that it could go as sideways as it's gone. And, you know, who knows? Randall's been playing better. Maybe they run late. But um, to me, that's really where the the blame lies, as opposed to maybe, just, you know, sitting on their hands yesterday. Yeah, CP, what, what about you? How did you feel about the the fact that the Knicks didn't make any moves to improve their team. Yeah, well, it was a long day for, for the Knicks therapists, like, like Macri and myself, man. It was definitely <laughs> a tough one. I mean, look, the, the, the inaction was definitely disappointing. I don't think many in the fan base really expected a splash move, but they were hoping, as was reported, that we would be able to move some of these vets and, and make room for the kids. And even though they didn't make moves, I think the reality that, you have a coach like Tom Thibodeau who's really relying on these guys to make it into the play and make it into the playoffs. That is what's really frustrating to the fans is because we feel like he's not really going to move some of these guys into the lineup and we're not really going to have been a clear cut idea of what these guys can really bring in particular Cam Reddish. So I think that the prospect of a wasted season is looming over the fan base. And I think that's where most of the, the, the frustration lies. You know, look at Leon Rose. This is year two. Last year was house money. They had a great year. They ran it back in the offseason. I didn't necessarily think that was a bad idea, but it, it's fallen off a cliff so far. And so now going into year three, going into this next summer, it's going to be really important for them to really make moves that, that put us in, in the right direction. We want to see progress. We want to see some of these young guys starting to develop we want to be able to be comfortable to say, okay, we're moving in the right direction because so far this year, you know, we've, we've taken a step back and progression is not always going to be linear, but the pressure is going to be on Leon Rose and, and his front office to really uh, move the needle for us in year three. Yeah. It's like, you know, they set, them up, set themselves up for failure because, you know, they surprised everybody, you know, in the association last year, uh, you know, getting that four seed and now they've taken you know, a major step back in, in my opinion, just of how, you know, they're organized and their, their rotations. But Ian, is there a particular player you're surprised is still with the team after yesterday? I know you touched on a few players earlier, but is there one specific, specific player that you're like, yeah, I'm really thought he would be gone. You know, I thought that Alec Burks just given uh, the way he had played over a year and his last year and a half with the Knicks, I thought that 
he was the most tradable. So I, I think that maybe the, the, the way he played and the way Tom Thibodeau feels about him, I don't know if that factored in to not trading him. I don't think it did. I think it was more so just the idea that any contending team that's trading for Alec Burks, yes, he's having a great season. But if you're a really good team, he's coming off your bench, and I don't think he's the sixth man. Maybe he's the seventh, eighth man. So how much are you willing to part with in that trade? But I think Alec Burks probably would be at the top of the list only because of uh, what their plans were going into the deadline. And so now you look ahead and we talked about Cam Reddish, but also you look at the rotations, right? And you look at players like, you know, Evan Fortier and Burks and other veterans who are getting heavy minutes. I wonder if there's going to be a shift at some point where younger guys, Miles McBride, uh, Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish, others, uh, Manuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, get more minutes if the Knicks ever decide to prioritize uh, player development in-game over playing the vets and trying to win every night. I wonder if we get to that point. Yeah, and as always, you know, write your questions into the comment section, no matter what platform you're watching on, and we'll get to them throughout the show. And uh, MH is asking you, Ian, when RJ and down the line D Rose return, who do you believe is the odd man out? Are we going to see, is it going to be Quentin Grimes or Cam Reddish? Right. It's a very good question. Obviously, uh, I think, well, I would say this those two guys are back. So Campbell Walker would probably be out of the rotation, I would assume, to bring one of them back. And then if you're talking about making, a, making space for Cam Reddish, Quentin Grimes is is the candidate because he's young, but Tom Thibodeau loves Grimes. So I kind of have a hard time seeing Grimes be the guy. He also loves Burks, but I would think if if he has to choose, he's choosing playing Grimes over Alec Burks. Maybe I'm wrong. That's why it's so interesting. And it's you're not dealing with a coach that has really prioritized playing young guys over veterans. He's trying to win every night. And it would playing Cam Reddish would be a little bit of a shift in philosophy, I think, for Tom Thibodeau. That's why it's so fascinating to me uh, to see how this thing plays out once everybody's healthy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and especially because they traded, you know, a decent amount to get Cam Reddish, right? And the fact That's that they didn't make any trades, you know, to alleviate or to find some way for him to be in the rotation uh, definitely just makes things more complicated down the road. But CP Slick Rick is asking you, do you think, you know, speaking of Cam, do you think Cam gave Thibs food for thought, you know, scoring those 12 points in 19 minutes last night against the Warriors? Well, we definitely saw his most comfortable game with, with the Knicks in, in his limited time so far. I thought we saw some flashes from Cam Reddish that you definitely like. Uh, shot a nice three to set the tone. You know, his defensive intensity was there, had active hands. He had two assists, three assists, two steals in that game. I thought he was really good moving off ball. You know, Knicks continuing to be last in the league and cutting his off ball movement is something that continues to keep the offense moving. And I thought he made some good passes using the middle of the court. So he definitely saw the, the length and athleticism there. He was a Attacking the rim. It was nice to see, but I just don't know where those minutes are going to come from consistently every night. You know, Quentin Grimes is a low usage, high energy defensive guy. You can rely on his three point shot. Tibbs has been raving about him. Alec Burke seems to be his most reliable point guard at this point. And, you know, that's not really saying too much because Kemba's been largely ineffective and quickly has been, you know, up and down, but he's been struggling as of late. So I don't necessarily see Burks coming out until, you know, maybe this team is mathematically eliminated. So I like what I see from Cam. I like to see some more. I'm just not sure, well, you know, where Tibbs slots him in. 
And so far, you know, he's been available for 10 games, uh, only played in six, four, do not play. Um, so obviously, you know, Tibbs does not have the same level of confidence that he has, you know, in guys, like you said, Alec Burks and Grimes and more. But Jonathan, do the reports, you know, regarding Tibbs' perspective on Cam, uh, the Cam deal, that is, uh, were you that there is a clear disconnect between the front office and what the head coach wants to do? I mean, uh, for this stuff, I, I lean on the reporting that's been out there. And a lot of that is, has come from me. And um, so, like, my view since Leon Rose has taken over has been that he seems to want to hear all the voices in the room. And it seems like, well, what, you know, you're an NBA player agent. What's your, what's your strength? What's your best skill set? Relationships, right? Making, you know, getting people together, you know, having diverse voices but not having it fracture the whole. And that's a great plan, right? And it works well when you're winning because at least the person that has been disagreed with can at least look and say, okay, it's working. And last season, I'm sure there were disagreements. We, we saw some reporting about some things, um, but they were winning. So it was okay. This season, if there's those same disagreements, but it's not resulting in wins, and you could even go back before the Cam thing, go back to Kemba, the signing of Kemba. We've seen reporting that perhaps... Tibbs was not on board with that. That didn't work out. And he's been obviously in and out the whole year. Um, I'm not worried yet um, because, again, I think disagreement is healthy to a, to a point. But at the same time, uh, there's, you know, if, if there are too many fractures and the ship isn't, you know, and, and people are pulling the ship in the different directions, that's a problem um, because you need to have, like, very clear organizational goals, I, I still think they do have that. Uh, and really, like, you know, what are we talking about here? We're talking about, you know, uh, maybe an extra five, 10 minutes of playing time. Not the end of the world, even though I know fans like me make it out to be. But I, I'm not worried too much yet, but that could change. Okay. All right. Now, uh, for more trade deadline fallout, visit sny.tv for a comprehensive recap from Ian Begley plus David Bertsberger has three questions for the Knicks after staying still at the deadline, Ian, Akiva Friedman is asking you, is it safe to say the Knicks will re-sign Mitchell Robinson after not trading him at the deadline? It's a great question. Really good question. And what I think on that is, and I'm not sure about anything. I don't know anything about their plans right now for Mitchell Robinson. But what I think is, if you have Mitchell Robinson and you, you know more about him than any other team in the league, right, if you're the Knicks, and so you know his value, and I would assume you have a pretty good idea of what other teams with cap space, like the Pistons, let's say, would offer Mitchell Robinson in free agency. And so I think you base your actions at the trade deadline around that maybe. So, you know, there's a number that you think a team might offer him in the summer. You say to yourself, if I'm going to match that, uh, probably I won't trade him. Um, or if I'm going to look to sign and trade him at that number, I'm not going to trade him now. So I think those are the two avenues to me that, that make the most sense now moving forward. Either the Knicks plan to re-sign them and they have a number they're comfortable with, or they have, they've had conversations about a sign and trade, and that's why they didn't move off of him now. Uh, but I would think at the very least that you're not letting Mitchell Robinson go without getting anything back if you're in the Knicks this time. We've seen it with Frank Nilakina. I don't think it's going to happen with Mitchell Robinson just because all the data they have on Robinson and everything they've seen from Robinson. They know more about him and they know his value more than any other team in the league. So I would expect them to at least get assets back from him, if not re-sign him. 
Yeah, and obviously, you know, he's been raising his value uh, for this team and for the association as a whole, you know, against the Jazz, 19 points, 21 rebounds. Against the Warriors, a little bit less, you know, 7 points, 11 boards. So with all that being said, Jonathan, uh, do you believe the Knicks should move on from Mitchell after this season? No, I, I don't. I mean, look, if his if his representation is like we want, you know, the Jared Allen contract, um, would I would I want to fork that over? Not not necessarily, right? Um, Mitch, Mitch, I, I, and look, I love Mitch, very talented player. We've seen the highs are so high, but we've also seen a little bit of inconsistency, you know, even against when he goes against a stretch five, for instance, um, are there durability concerns, conditioning, those sorts of things. Um, so I think the number has to be right. That said, um, I, I think, you know, there's probably a number that they could get to. And if we, if anything, you know, exists that we learned from last summer, it's that this, this front office is willing to go maybe a little bit higher then what would what would you think would be like absolute fair value? You know, Fournier is Fournier, I don't know, 13, 14 million dollars a year player. Okay, they gave him, you know, 18 million dollars a year. Um, so I think they'll go a little higher on Mitch. The the thing that's interesting to me is, you know, he could still be signed to an extension. He could be signed to an extension right now if uh if the Knicks wanted, if his representation wanted to. So given that I think the Knicks would go to a certain number, I'm of the belief that his his representation wants to take him into the the market and see what's out there. Now, as Ian said, does that mean sign and trade? The only thing I'll I'll conclude with is just saying, if they lost him for nothing, to me, that is so much worse than Frank Nilakina. Because Frank Nilakina was like a friend, again, all due respect to um, Frank Island, we we, we stand united. Um, He's a fringe NBA player, you know, end of the rotation guy. Mr. Robinson's a, a different, a different caliber of guy. So they cannot oh, lose well, him well. for nothing. I think we need to to clip that. We need to clip John <laughs> saying Nelikina is a fringe NBA player. <laughs> Isolate Listen, that. Listen, Frank Hive is coming for a bit. They're, they're, they're coming. <laughs> uh, they've been in hibernation. They'll come after me. After <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> oh man, CP. What about you? Uh, based on everything yeah. you've seen, you know the points that Jonathan and Ian have made. Uh, do you believe, or what do you believe, is the smartest plan of action? for the Knicks to do um, when it comes to Mitchell Robinson and his future long-term? Well, look, I, I'd love to keep Mitch, you know, and, and as John said, it's definitely depending on the price, but I think he, he brings so much value to this team. Last night they had 17 offensive rebound. Mitch accounted for eight, and that's coming off of the, the, the back injury. Still looked like he was laboring a little bit out there, but his activity around the rim, you know, just can't be denied. Leading the league again in, in block percentage and in offensive rebounding percentage. And all of this is just based off, off of his raw talent. You know, we still don't have a consistent playmaker, a point guard that can really uh, activate him and and really get him some more points around the rim. He can be a double-double guy if we get a more reliable option there. So I think I, I would definitely look to re-sign Mitch. The Noel contract was definitely a mistake. Um, you certainly don't want to allocate a ton of your assets in, in, in your bigs and especially your backup bigs. So I hope they can, you know, get from out under that Noel contract. But I would definitely look to bring Mitch back, sign him to a deal, and, and down the road, if there's a sign and trade opportunity to again improve this team, then then you look into it. But there's no question that uh, that Mitch can help this team. Absolutely, and it's just I hope he's able to stay healthy and be able yeah. to get back to 100 uh, percent because it is hard to watch sometimes where he is laboring out there on the court and not able to do the things that we're that we're used to seeing him do. Uh, but Robert Kornhauser is asking you, Ian, uh, next man up has have you heard anything about Donovan Mitchell's happiness in Utah? 
you know, I think that when when you're talking about a player like Mitchell, right? I'll answer it straight up first. Uh, I haven't since uh, before he signed the extension. Now, before he signed the extension, even some of his teammates were wondering, is he going to be here long-term or does he want to go elsewhere? And then pandemic hits, he signs the extension. Uh, so I haven't heard anything since then. But usually the unhappiness would stem from an early playoff exit. And so I think that's when you'll start to hear the whispers and you're always going to, you know, reference his connections to New York, many connections to New York. Uh, CAA, Leon Rose, grew up here, Mets fan, watches SNY a lot, which is big. And uh, obviously Johnny, Johnny Bryant too, close to him. So if he is unhappy, you're, the Knicks are going to poke around on it. But I don't think you're going to hear anything about that concrete uh, unless and until the Jazz make an early exit from the postseason. Yeah, and uh, I think it's still – it's still a pipe dream uh, in my eyes, you know, for them to to get Donovan Mitchell, whether, you know, he's going to be happy or unhappy at the end of this season. But, you know, CP was talking about, you know, needing uh, the fans or needing uh, Mitch to get a point guard, you know, who can get him in certain positions to where he can have, you know, a consistent double-double uh, type of performance every night and night out. Uh, so with that being said, you know, Ian, how could yesterday's deals, you know, involving the Mavericks impact Jalen Brunson and a potential future uh, with New York. The thing that I keep an eye on with Dallas is uh, Goran Dragic. And I say that because uh, I think yesterday, Mavs top executive, Nico Harrison, said he's pretty much all set. He's not going to get into the buyout market, essentially ruling out uh, signing Dragic. But if they had signed Dragic, then you have Dragic and you have Dinwiddie, and it would be seen as even more you know, insurance if you're going to lose Jalen Brunson in your Dallas uh, but he did say that they were not going to get involved in the buy market. We'll see. But trading for Dinwiddie in and of itself, you know, could be seen as as insurance if you're losing Brunson. I don't have any specific reporting on that. What I do know is that Dallas values Brunson very highly, and I think that they have a number that they're comfortable at, uh, given their you know potential tax situation, and then just signed Dorian Finney-Smith to an extension right after the deadline. So I think they have a number they're comfortable at. But I think if you're a team that's going to come in with a big offer, like, you know, $20 million a year, I think, you know, they'll say, we love you, Jalen, but uh, good luck in your next endeavor. So I think that's the scenario in Dallas, and it's just a matter of a team kind of blowing him away with an offer or coming in above Dallas, or if he decides he wants to leave, then take less money. Maybe he does that. I have no idea. But I do know that Dallas values him, and I think there's a number that they're comfortable at uh, on Brunson. So, so Jonathan, do you believe like if the Knicks offered him uh, twenty million, or do you feel like the Knicks should offer uh, Brunson, you know, after the season, you know, that type of salary where he's getting twenty million dollars a year, or do you think that's too much? I, I, look, is Jalen Brunson a twenty million dollar a year player in the NBA? Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. The reality of the league is, in order to get a guy, especially get a guy away from a situation where you know, I, who knows what Jalen Brunson thinks of, of living in Dallas, playing for Dallas, playing alongside Luca. But it's an objectively pretty good situation. History shows us that you have to pay a little bit of a premium. Now, how much of a premium is it? Is it going to be? Does the relationship with with Leon Rose and you know, obviously his dad, with Tibbs, and the whole thing does that matter? I don't know. I would go to twenty million dollars a year because I look at this team and and credit to CP. He just pointed it out. 
we've been having the same discussion for 20 years or, or more than, I mean, you could say we've been having the same discussion for 45 years, really, you know, whatever, since Walt, you know, kind of was out of his prime. I mean, Mark Jackson, um, you know, Michael Ray Richardson, a couple guys here and there, but Ray I mean, Felton. yeah, Ray, shout out to Ray. Yeah, Felton. Ray <laughs> underrated. Well, uh, Jason, old, well, man J- kid. old man kid. Yeah. It's like <laughs> old, old man kid. You have to specify. Yeah. Um, get a point guard in here, right? And whatever whatever point guard you're looking at, whether it's Brunson, unrestricted, Colin Sexton, restricted, um, you know, Malcolm Brogdon maybe on the trade market, you're, you're looking at a $20 million a year number for any of these guys. I mean, obviously, uh, Brogdon's already signed to that. Like, you're just, you're not going to get anybody that's, that's going to be someone you feel confident about running your team for anything less than that. They tried to do it on the cheap with Kemba. You know, how's that worked out? Um, so, yeah, if you're telling me I could get Brunson for, for like four for 80, sign me up. You take it. Okay. What about, what about you, CP? Would you, would you be down with that type of deal that the Knicks make to, you know, make sure they have some sort of stability at the point guard position finally? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, it, it's time. You know, it's been long overdue. We, we need stability at the position. And, and Brunson's having a, a dynamic year, man. Super efficient, low turnover guy, 16 and 5. Uh, very efficient off of his drives, which would be absolutely uh, refreshing based on what we have here. You, you can always count on a Villanova guy. Very steady hand, very professional. I like what Brunson is giving, what he's giving to the Mavs right now, being a solid piece in their rotation. You know, them losing Hardaway. Uh, Mark Cuban has has said he's set on, on keeping Brunson, but we'll see as, as Ian said the Dinwiddie acquisition and, and re-signing Finney Smith, I have to think that, you know, there, there's a certain number, as these guys said, that they're willing to meet on Brunson. And if not, maybe the Knicks can swoop in uh, via sign and trade. When you look at the draft and, and you hear some of the prognosticators say that, you know, it's, it's not a point guard heavy draft. Look at the coach, you know, how willing would he be to even insert a rookie point guard to 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 run the offense here? I think it has to be via an acquisition of veteran piece or a guy moving into veteran status like Jalen Brunson. I would look into it for sure. Yeah. And be sure to watch Geico Sportsnet all night, every night starting at 11 p.m. They have comprehensive coverage of the Knicks and Nets, including highlights and reacting after every game. Geico Sports Night, 11 p.m. on SNY.tv. And now let's do a bunch of fan questions, guys. So, Ian, uh, Ian Lee 
Uh, hopefully, I'm not pronouncing that wrong, Yali, uh, but if I do, you can let me know, and I'll correct it later. But if Thibs does not play the young guys that this front office brought in, do you expect him to be in the hot seat? I think that, uh, you know, it depends on how far the front office pushes Tom Thibodeau. To, I don't think to date they haven't told him who to play or, you know, maybe they have more recently. But I think, you know, obviously coming into this season, they hadn't really told him who to play and how to shape his rotations. But if that conversation's had and Tom Thibodeau pushes back and, and you know, there become, there, excuse me, a conflict then develops around that, and the Knicks continue to lose, uh, then I think that there's going to be, his seat's going to be warming up into the offseason. I, I can't see them uh, letting him go this year. There's his hand-picked hand coach. Excuse me, he is their hand-picked coach. So I can't see him getting let go this season. But if there's conflict over who to play, how many minutes to play them, and they lose games, then going into the offseason, I think the seat warms up. And then if they struggle next year, certainly the temperature gets turned up even more. Yeah, I, I don't think they should move on from Tibbs at all. Excuse me, at all, regardless of what happens this year. But if we do see, you know, to your point, the struggles and the disconnect between the front office and the Tibbs next year and they continue to lose, then you might have to look, you know, at a different situation as far as a coaching uh, change. But Jonathan, Juan Bago is asking you, how do you balance it out giving the veterans with expiring contracts time to keep their value up and, and at the same time, giving the young kids time to evaluate with them? Um, I think the, the, vet, the value conversation, I think that's over for, for the time being, right? I mean, we got up to the trade deadline. Um, as far as I'm concerned, and maybe those people within the organization feel differently, like Kemba Walker at this point, he's 20 whatever games away from becoming Kemba Walker's expiring contract. Um, nothing more, nothing less. Same thing, Nerlens Noel, right? I mean, maybe actually that's unfair. Nerlens, if he actually gets on the court and plays a little bit, probably has a little bit higher value. Um, to me, though, it is about how you go about um, navigating the rest of the season. I, as I think uh, Ian mentioned earlier, removing Kemba from the rotation when Rose comes at back, that's kind of the obvious one, but that still leaves you with 11 guys. You know, we'll put Deuce aside for a second. Um, 11 guys for 10 spots. We don't, we know Tibbs doesn't go past 10. I think there's a way to do it. Uh, you know, does Alec Burks get a, a rest night here? Does Derek Rose coming off the injury, get a rest night there? You know, Evan Fournier, he's a veteran. So if you're selective about your rest nights, but then, the interesting question there is, okay, let's say it must this tough schedule, they keep winning games. Um, are you able to do that? How comfortable is Tibbs going into a game where let's say, you know, you win the game, you're in a tie for 10th with like, you know, five or 10 games to go. That's what we don't know, you know? And I, I, I think to a certain extent, like that'll play itself out. Um, you know, winning cures all, right? Uh, if they actually win some of these games, I, I think it'll it'll make whatever the decisions are a little bit easier. But again, we won't know until we see it. Yeah, I, I just want to say two quick things about Kemba. And it, it's hard for me to be impartial on Kemba. I covered him when he was at Rice High School. And uh, I know his family a little bit, wonderful family. Um, so it's difficult for me to be impartial. But I just want to say that, I, you know, he had that run, right? We won yeah. player of the week. And he was playing incredibly. And, I, you know, just what happened between then and now, I don't think he just kind of got sapped of his powers. I just wonder if, you know, he played all those minutes uh, after that run and 
uh, it was, you know, successive games. And, and we know that Kembo has a knee issue and playing a lot of minutes, successive games, uh, maybe could flare something up. I have no idea. I'm just, it's just perplexing to me that there, uh, that what happened here, I, I just have to think that there's something physical at play that we're just not aware of. Maybe I'm wrong. Again, I'm a, I'm a Kemba guy. So, uh, take that with a grain of salt. Just, and also I would say this, he's loved in that locker room. Uh, a lot of the young guys love him. So I think, I don't think that factors into anything the Knicks do moving forward. Uh, but it is worth noting as you're a team that's looking to build an identity, build a winning culture, uh, that stuff counts. Ian, can I just ask off of that? What you just said, do you think the young guys loving him may be playing a role in him continuing to have, you know, get starts for this team as, uh, even as he's kind of struggled? I don't think so because Tibbs showed you earlier in the year he's fine with pulling uh, Kemba Walker. But I, I do know that in the aftermath of that, um, some of the players felt that it was mishandled, not necessarily from a basketball decision sense, but the idea that, you know, he's just kind of banished uh, from the rotation and there wasn't a lot of discussion between Walker and Thibodeau in the aftermath. So some of the players did, felt that that was mishandled. And also uh, they there was some you know, acrimony about the idea that uh, the standard is not being applied across the board here. You're, you're benching Kemba for uh, defensive issues, whatever it may be. That's okay. But how come everyone else isn't held to that same standard? That was, uh, you know, some a theme among some of the players. Um, but I, I don't think that Tibbs, there's anything uh, factoring into Tibbs' decision to start Kemba uh, in terms of the locker room or how the young guys feel about him. I would be surprised, I guess I should say, if there is. And and, and what do you think about, um, you know, just giving Kemba struggles and then hearing the, the rumors that, you know, Tibbs wasn't so high on him, but he was very high on McBride. He did start McBride those two games against OKC, gave him a quick hook against the Raptors, but we haven't really seen him since. You know, and, and he had that outstanding game against the Rockets and closing the show for them. But again, we, we haven't really seen much of McBride. What do you take on, uh, on you know, Tibbs' trust in McBride at this point? I think it's just in general, if you're Tom Thibodeau, and, and this is no disrespect to Miles McBride at all, but if you're Tom Thibodeau and you're saying to yourself, I need to win tonight's game, uh, I know what I'm getting from Alec Burks every night, pretty much. Um, and I know that I could trust Alec and, you know, he's going to give me the things that I need. Um, so I'm going to put him out there and, and that I think is going to give me the best chance to win. If you're saying this is a shift in thinking, if you're saying I'm going to start Miles McBride, you know, I'm not sure what he's going to give me. It could be great. It could be, he could struggle. It could be in the middle, but I'm okay with that result no matter what, because I want him out there. Uh, you know, getting playing time and developing. I think it's just two different mindsets. Um, and maybe at some point that mindset shifts organizationally, but but we're not there yet. And I think that's why you're not seeing Miles McBride night in and night out, uh, unless there's an injury situation where he is, is starting. So that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, it, it's really, uh, it's disappointing. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, uh, but it is disappointing because we did see, you know, him show the flashes and, you know, the ability to, you know, be uh, amongst the men and show that he can hang, you know, with the best of them. So we'll see how it moves going forward. But obviously, you know, Tibbs is very, he, he stays committed to his uh, beliefs and does not uh, usually stray away from them, um, you know, even if somebody's trying to pull him in another direction. But the Knicks will close out the first half of Wednesday night hosting possibly Ben Simmons and the Nets. 
The next day at noon, we'll have a live show looking back at the first half as the Knicks head into the All-Star break. So be sure to join Ian, myself, and some special guests Thursday at noon for a live putback on whatever platform you're watching us on now. And let's do a couple questions on some deals that actually happen um, and have a little bit of connection or impact on the Knicks. So obviously the big one, James Harden. Ian, how did this all come about? You know, last year it was, yeah, I'm trying to get to Brooklyn. Now I'm, I need to get away from Brooklyn and go back with my boy, uh, Daryl Morey. It's interesting, Chris, because I think you brought up one of the factors as far as my understanding. Last year, he wanted to get out of Houston because, in part, he didn't want to have to be the guy to score 35 and, and hand out you know, 12 assists a night and, and do everything uh, for a team. And also, you know, get crushed if that team didn't reach expectations. Uh, and I think so part of the thinking from asking out of Houston was, let me go play with some guys where, um, a couple stars where, you know, we're going to win a title, a really good chance to win a title, but it's not all on me every night. And he, he ended up in Brooklyn. But if you remember, Philadelphia came hard after him and Houston, uh, in my understanding, was refused to deal him uh, to Philly, uh, partly because of Daryl Morey. So you fast forward now. And last year he had Durant, he had Irving, and they looked great when they were on the court together. This year there was no Irving. And then there was Irving just for road games. And then Durant got hurt. So there was a stretch here where it is just James Harden again, and he's being relied upon to carry the load. And my understanding is, I don't think that's the whole picture, but that at least played a part in him, you know, keeping his eye elsewhere on Philadelphia and ultimately souring on the situation because now he's going somewhere where he's sharing the load with Joel Embiid. And obviously he's back with his, his guy, Daryl Morey. Um, so I think that was a factor, but the idea that they came together to get a deal done, you know, I think the Nets were ready to hold strong at the deadline and were comfortable as uncomfortable as it would have been to move on with James Harden after the deadline. They were comfortable doing that and just giving it a shot. Philadelphia obviously ultimately comes up to their price level and they get a deal done. And here we are. Yeah. I think it was really impressive that the Sixers didn't have to give up, you know, Matisse Thibel or Tyrese Maxey, because that was something, you know, that the Nets uh, reportedly also wanted. Uh, but eventually they only have to give up, you know, uh, Andre Drummond, Seth Curry and some draft picks. But, uh, you know, the other trade that kind of is not at the same level as we probably thought it was, you know, maybe a few years ago, Christoph Porzingis going to the Wizards. Uh, it's just so fascinating because this is a guy who you thought the Mavericks were going to pair up with Luca for years to come. And they were going to be the one, two punch that was going to lead them into the Western conference finals and maybe the NBA finals. So Jonathan, uh, do you believe at this point in time, the Knicks won the Porzingis trade? You know, I wrote it today. Um, I don't know if we could definitively say that the Knicks won that trade what I what we can say now is the Dallas Mavericks lost that trade, and uh, you know you you get lucky as an organization once every I mean a couple of decades right if that um, to be able to draft a player the caliber of Luka Doncic and you know unless you're Cleveland uh, and you get a do over yeah <laughs> um, you usually get only one shot at, at at making that right and they KP was. I'm not going to say KP was their all-in move because obviously, you know, Dennis Smith wasn't wasn't a real asset. But the picks that they gave away, it's less about what they turned into and more about um, 
you know, the opportunity cost, right? Because then you can't go put together a, a star, a package for a star involving, you know, all of the picks and the swaps and the whole thing. So they messed up. They miscalculated. They gave up what they gave up and they signed up a max contract for, you know, a guy who, uh, let's face it, can't stay on the court. And when he's been on there, he's been, I mean, this year he's been okay, but even, you know, great shooter, but can't really shoot well, uh, which is kind of a problem. Uh, so I think they lost. And I think, uh, you know, look, we could talk for, for days about how that process went down with the Knicks and there are differing opinions on that, but their instinct, I think, to move on from him, at the, again, at the very least, I think was proven to be the correct one. CP, do you agree or you have a different different approach, different uh, take? I, I was stunned to see Kristaps Porzingis Day being traded yesterday uh, to the Washington Wizards. But, you know, as Max said, it's, it's definitely an, an indictment on the Mavs because these two were supposed to be the next dynamic duo. You know, I, I, I used to battle with a certain personality on, on this said topic. I won't mention his name, but now we see, you know, KP, KP wasn't, uh, wasn't everything that, uh, that they thought he was. It didn't work out here. It would have been interesting to see how he would have meshed with an RJ Barrett in another year. But, you know, the durability issues, the knee issues, the, the, the inconsistent play certainly hurt him. And, you know, the opportunity cost was for us was Julius Randle. And, you know, say what you will about Randle. Uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Durable player. And mm-hmm. while it's not a perfect product with what we have right now, uh, I think it's, it's certainly better than, you know, having Porzingis here at the end of the day. So uh, it's, it was very interesting to see his name come about. And, um, you know, I, I think we benefited from it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing, you know, that Julius uh, has over KP is – you know, Julius won most improved player of the year. Uh, KP uh, does not have that um, honor and probably probably never will, uh, sadly to say, uh, just based on how his career has been going. But that's going to wrap up this show, guys. Our thanks to Jonathan Macri for joining us today. And shout out to CP, the franchise, for hanging out for the last two days in a row. Be sure to check out their work on Nick's Film School and Nick's Fan TV. We are back Thursday at noon to close out the first half. Brian, I'm Chris. Thanks so much for watching, guys. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.